You're listening to NASA in Silicon Valley, episode 70. And for the intro, I have Abby here with me again. Hello, hello. This is a slightly interesting episode, just for the sake that when we planned on recording this, I got horrifically ill. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. and Abby (laughs) jumped in at the last minute to go ahead and do the recording. That's right. So Abby, tell us about (laughs) the conversation that you had. All right. Well, it turned out to be very interesting. I met with Sylvain Coste. He is the manager of the Gene Lab project here at Ames. Okay. So you know how NASA does a lot of biosciences. We do biology experiments up on the space station. Mm-hmm. So when those experiments end, it does the science doesn't end because yeah. all that data goes into a repository which is open to the public. It's open access for any researchers to use. And right now they're developing tools and really building a system around it where people can come analyze this space biology data that NASA helped produce and looking for discoveries that they can make within it themselves. And oh, wow. this is for researchers, if that's if that's your research, or for citizen scientists who may be interested, they'll be able to explore as well and get more out of the data than ever. So what Sylvain describes it as is NASA as the custodian of knowledge about how life is affected in space, which I think is cool. Sounds super exciting. Yeah. So before we jump on into it, a reminder for folks listening, we have a phone number that's 650-604-1400. Give us a call and leave a message and we'll try to add that into the to future episodes. Um, if you want to be digital, we are on all the social media platforms. We're using the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. We are a NASA podcast, but we are not the only NASA podcast. So as I give a quick little shout outs to some of our friends over at headquarters who do Gravity Assist. Um, there's also another weekly podcast called This Week at NASA. And then of course our friends over in at JSC over at the Johnson Space Center. They have Houston. We have a podcast. So that's where you can find all of our stuff. But for today. Let's listen to Sylvain Kost. So hey Sylvain, thanks for coming in. Well thank you for having me. I'm excited to hear about your work a little bit. Um, So usually we start this off by learning about you and your background and how did you end up at NASA? Where, Where do you come from originally? Sure. So well, I was born in France, and ah. um, I went uh, through physics and mathematics training in France in, okay. in college. And cool. Eventually, I transferred to, um, I did an exchange at Texas A&M University, and from there, I kind of lacked the uh, American uh, education. Yeah. So I decided to go for a PhD. So after a master at Texas A&M, I, I did a PhD at UC Berkeley, and um, spent some time at NCI, National Cancer Institute, mm-hmm. yeah, and then I became know. a independent investigator at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, which is a DOE lab. um, And I uh, joined NASA only last December in 2016. Oh, so you're pretty new. You're even newer than I am to NASA. Interesting. And I lived in Paris for eight years, so we have something else in common. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, je vais parler français alors. Ah, non, 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 peut-être pas (laughs) aujourd'hui. Let's continue in English. So, from France, what part of France? Um, it's hard to tell. I mean, um, I was born in Bourges, which, which is one of the center uh, city. But I, I moved, I think, 20 times. as a, By the age of 20, I had moved 20 times in France. So, oh, my gosh. Uh, I don't so. really are, I don't have any really city. I would say I'm from the south. Uh, that's really where my family mm-hmm. is from. So, Toulouse would be... Uh, I see. And yeah. the, 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 the real city is called Rodez. Uh, but... 
Uh, I don't really feel like I'm, yeah, I'm I'm just French in general. Right, okay. I've been everywhere in France. So you're used to moving around. That's right. So from France to Texas to California, you've been all over. Yeah. And eventually that led you to NASA. But so you're a biologist, is that right? No, I'm a physicist. A physicist, So my PhD is in nuclear engineering. Oh my gosh. So I used to do, uh, in my master I was doing nuclear reactor design, so a lot of neutronics, and then... In nuclear engineering, there is a section called health physics, which is understanding how radiation impacts people's life. So like how you can get cancer from radiation, the risk of ionizing radiation. So I got into this. And part of that is called medical physics, which is understanding how radiation can be used to treat cancer. Mm -hmm. That's the connection between physics and cancer research. That's right. And then little by little, I kind of you know, left the physics world to move more and more towards the biology. So being a physicist, I've done a lot of, uh, I've used a lot of the, the, phys- the physics uh, knowledge, so mathematics and modeling into uh, understanding biological processes. Mm-hmm. Until last year, very much focused on radiation. And so the connection with NASA there was that there is cosmic radiation yeah. uh, that astronauts get exposed to. So I've been studying the uh, their impact on humans for a long time. Right. Radiation is a big challenge it's for a big space one. exploration. Microgravity and radiation are the two big one, right? Right. And um, now at Gene Lab, I, uh, I'm really emphasizing everything. So radiation is just one small aspect of what we're working on. We're mm. really looking at the full response of, uh, of the human on I mean, life in general, uh, in terms of living in space. Right. So microgravity. The physical uh, effects of absolutely. the space environment, right? That's right. Right, okay. So you just mentioned Gene Lab. What is that? So Gene Lab is, so I'm the project manager now for Gene Lab. Mm-hmm. And so so let me tell you a bit about Gene Lab because it's a project that started about four years ago, roughly. Um, and the idea, which is, I think, very good, uh, is that NASA should be the custodian of the the knowledge of how life gets impacted in, in space. And so there's a okay, lot of yeah. studies that have been going on for, you know, 20, 30 years uh, under the sponsorship of NASA. Mm-hmm. And um, Definitely. We've got a big biosciences division here. Absolutely. And different. so there's a lot of scattered information here and there. And I think uh, we're lucky to live in a, in, a, in a time where now we have this new technology called omics. And so the omics mm-hmm. are, uh, you, you hear about them every day. It's actually they're looking at... Uh, uh, you know uh, specific uh, changes in your in your genome called variants, and mm-hmm. uh, and they're trying to interpret the slight different changes in your gene ex- in, in your gene sequencing with respect to some risk to your health. Uh, that's one omics that's uh, that's exploding right now in the in the world. But there's other omics that have been going on for a while. One of them is called transcriptomic, which is 90% of the data in GeneLab are transcriptomic data, and there it's the idea of uh, looking at the RNA expression uh, in tissues uh, mm-hmm. or in uh, in microbes or any anything we're looking at, any sp- sample coming from the space station or from the space shuttle, and um, if they have been analyzed for omics, they end up into our repository. So GeneLab is that big repository of information. Okay, right. G- GeneLab is a database. It yeah. is a, it's a database, but it's going to be more than a database. This was the original thought for it. Basically, let's store all this information to one local place. Mm-hmm. And so we've been very active in either identifying legacy data set that should be in GeneLab from the get-go, from the past, and we're also very active with any new omics being produced on the ISS uh, to make sure that those data comes into our repository. And, and we're not only looking at one type of omics, we're looking at a v- 
many different omics. There's something else called proteomics, which is protein profile. Epigenetic, which is mm -hmm. how your DNA gets decorated by uh, specific molecules that changes the expression profile of those molecules. So all these omics techniques are coming to us and, and we're working very actively also in identifying what's been already produced in the world. And the idea is to be, be, you know, kind of like the custodian of knowledge and yeah. and catering this information to the public. Okay, cool. So let's let's review. Omics is is this big area, right? That it can be proteomics, genomics. Absolutely. Right. Okay. So any of these companies that are offering genetic analyses for it's one type of public. omics. Yeah, yeah, that's one type of omics. So all of these basically are ways to study what our DNA is producing or what any organisms, cells are, are doing right. <laughs> with their DNA. And is it correct that, that that's what can be influenced by the space environment? Absolutely. So I think if you go back about you know life in space, there's really two big questions uh, that we need to address. One is really how microgravity confinement um, ionizing radiation uh, can affect uh, living entities. And here... That question is important with respect to the astronauts because mm -hmm. we want to make sure they're going to be healthy on the long run. Yeah. So that's one big question. And we believe that in addition to the battery of tests you can do on an astronaut, like, you know, uh, blood samples, uh, pulse, uh, um, you know, yeah. EKG, whatever, um, you have other tools, molecular tools that we can address by using animal models. So uh, because the problem with omics is typically you have to uh, sacrifice the animal to get the information. I so, see. Um, so for, you know, a mouse, we're going to get the liver, we're going to get the brain, we're going to get the bones, and we can mm -hmm. then run omics on those guys. Okay. Um, so to, to see what impact what microgravity it, so or radiation is having on the body? On a, on a body, right, that yeah. is close to us, which is, a ma mammals yeah. are great, but there's also effort on drosophila, which is insect and... The fruit flies. Uh, fruit flies, yeah. and uh, you also have C. elegans. So there's a variety of, 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 um, of animal models you can use. There is another question that GenLab is also helping answering in terms of uh, the information we're putting into the database. It's... Uh, more understanding the way an ecosystem is modified by hmm. by space. And so here you can imagine microbes. So, you know, we talk about microbes being found on the walls of the of the space station. Yeah, I've seen that. These kind of things would be addressable with omics, but more then you you're more interested in seeing what kind of uh, maybe maybe new uh, species or how a strain can deviate from its original uh, genomic makeup by being in space for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also helpful for the plant, for instance, understanding the kind of stress you put on a, on an ecosystem like a plant. Yeah. Uh, then you may be able to optimize how a plant grows on Mars or oh, in wow. a space station. So you see, you can either look at the ecosystem side or you can look at the human health side. Yeah. So th those two things are coming together in GeneLab, which is interesting. That's very interesting. That's what I just realized as you were talking. You can look at the effect of space on an individual and then all the way up to the ecosystem scale. Exactly. That's pretty awesome. Right. Okay. So so Gene, these studies are going on already and then GeneLab collects all that data that these experiments are producing. Is that it? Yeah. So there's different ways that data can make their way in GeneLab. So one thing, as I mentioned earlier, was uh, we we talk about legacy data. So mm -hmm. before GeneLab existed, people were already gathering some omics. Having said that, the omics have changed a lot over the past 10 years. So the legacy data typically have some kind of technology for transcriptomics that we don't use as much anymore, like uh, we call macroarray, which is mm. the old way of looking at RNA labels. 
since then, uh, you know, gene expression levels. So since then, now we have RNA sequencing, which is a better technique. As we go to new omics, we have much larger data sets. So the uh, repository yeah. is getting bigger. So big data is coming down the pipe. Yeah, totally. And that's one way, but the other aspect of GeneLab is to really work actively with uh, investigators and collaborators to generate new data. And so we, we work uh, with PI that have uh, their funding from NASA to fly uh, animal models, plant microbes yeah. in the space station. And we, we help them maybe get more information from their samples and make sure that all their omics go on the database at the end. Mm -hmm. This is the side that I know a little bit about from working at Ames, our bioscience department. They work with researchers at other institutions, right? Right. Who want to fly an experiment to space to do their science. That's what you're talking about, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. We'll help them carry out that experiment, and then also we get to use the data. Absolutely. So and there is that aspect of NASA Ames where investigator will work with a, a principal investigator from uh, that got funding to actually fly on the ISS-specific mission and, and specific experiment. So part of our work is also there. And I, I think the, the something new about GeneLab that uh, as the new project manager I'm trying to push for is really, uh, I really think that GeneLab should be serving three different communities. So hmm. the data repository by itself, really that data really talks to the specialist, the bioinformatician that can go in there and download okay. the data and work with the data mm -hmm. and interpret the data. Specialists, yeah. It's very, very specialized people, yeah. scientists. But then you have another group, which is the scientists in general, which they don't know how to do the bioinformatic, but they know how to ask the right question. And oh, so yeah. we want to provide tools for them to be able to access the information without having to do all these very tedious and slow work. So hmm. some of the repository data are now being uh, used to be processed to generate a new level of data uh, that we would call higher order data that can be interpreted. And from there, for instance, the idea would be is there a signature of cancer in some uh, liver samples that I got from the space station? Mm -hmm. So a specialist on cancer, but not a specialist in, in bioinformatics can ask this question by being provided the right information. I see. And they're also, that, that means they're not doing a brand new experiment. They're using data that exists. Exactly. Cool. And so now you can think of, you know, this, it's the same data, but they've already been pre-processed by us and then they are now, so there's a there's a bigger emphasis on tools to visualize this information. And so we're still working with this hmm. uh, and with the investigator. And, and, and the idea would be to really have at the end, even a higher level type of uh, information that would be very succinct, but very simple to access. With a few clicks, someone could go in there and ask for their favorite gene. So, you know, is P53 modifying space? Uh, okay. And then you could ask uh, to look at all the uh, mass data, or you could oh, say, yeah. okay, I want mass and drosophila. Or uh -huh. yeah. And this now talks to not only scientists, but really even high school students can do these kind really? of questions. Yeah, yes. we had a gene lab for high school. Liz Blaber was the uh, uh, the PI who, uh, who actually organized this, and it was very successful. And you, awesome. you know, high school student can make sense out of this data with wow. the right guidance. So it's wow. possible. That's impressive. That's yeah. bioinformatics, you're saying. High school students are working on Absolutely. that. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's really awesome. amazing. The, the the new generation is well-trained. Wow, yeah. NASA's getting the next generation ready. That's awome. Yeah, they, we um, were like, there were like 20, 20 plus kids that came here this summer and they spent uh, three weeks and wow. they worked on the data that was on the database and they, they actually, at the end, they did a presentation and wow. it was really good. That's a good way to spend your summer as a high school student. I agree. Not I just think. hanging out of the beach, right? So you said three communities that Gene Lab serves. Did we hit all three? Yeah. The so 
you know, those visualization uh, aspect, there's really, you could have a visualization layer that would be fairly sophisticated for, you know, still scientists type of people. But then you could really have uh, even a higher level of visualization that is really simple where you can mm. ask very simple question about, you know, anyone who doesn't know science but who's curious about space could say, is there any change in inflammatory response in space? Okay. And so uh, at least on the omics level, looking at protein and RNA, uh, you could extract this kind of information actually and report this information back to the to the public. So what we're envisioning is really uh, the, this multi-tier level where you can really... Uh, you know, for specialists, you would pretty much play with the data the way they are. For the scientist community, you would have visualization tool and some processing tool. So if you want to do some grinding yourself. Okay, um, crunch the numbers crunch the number. data. Yeah. And this system would be, by the way, on the cloud. Uh, but then at the end, uh, the very light level data, which doesn't take much room, uh, is those visualization uh, data. But then the very... They're very much guided by us because we mm-hmm. have to make choices in what we want to display. And, right, right. And so, and to do this, we think that we will involve the community, the scientific community through something. This NIH uh, has used a similar model called AWG, Analysis Working Group. So the idea is to put together multiple principal investigator mm-hmm. experts in one topic and put them together to kind of tease out what would be the best way to analyze certain type of data. So for instance, we could focus on the, the rodent uh, uh, data, or you could focus on the microbe data. And so you could imagine different uh, AWG analysis working group for these different questions. Okay, and so different groups of scientists will decide this particular kind of data is probably most useful for the community, so we're going to create some tools to process it? Some tools or some way of displaying them. Okay. So h- how can you make it very, very easy for anyone to understand what's going on? So what is the right processing pipeline? So we call them pipeline. It's like a, it's a bunch of different scripts that you put together that will take the raw data, which are very big, and turn them into a very small amount of data that is very, that is small but very uh, meaningful to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can imagine Google does the same thing with their data. They they have all these uh, very large database that they they work with. But at the end, when you type uh, a keyword for a specific question you're asking, the system is able to point immediately to a web page with an actual answer to your question, which is remarkable. Yeah. So in the background, there's a lot of things happening for this, and there's that huge database working okay. uh, for you. Are you kind of creating the search engine that will browse this huge database of biological We're thinking of that. It's a bit more difficult for us because uh, when you think of Google, they, they really have what they call big data, which is real. It's a lot of data. Uh, GeneLab doesn't have big data. We we have we have complex data. We have, mm, okay. uh, but you know they don't. They, we don't have that many experiments from space uh, uh, mission. And if you go on our website right now, you you will find uh, 130 plus studies, mm-hmm. uh, and less than half of them are actually space mission, and the other one are ground studies that uh, mimic what's happening in space. Oh, okay, simulations. Simulations. You know, um, so. This is the caveat, is that we have lots of data, but they are complex data, and they're not big data. We have a very sparse uh, metrics of information. And so there's still some question about how you're going to go about those data. And and so that's really where working with the scientific community will help us mm-hmm. figure out what are the best pipeline with this specific constraint in mind, which is an additional challenge. But I think the technology and... I think machine learning may be helpful there. Really? Uh, machine learning is part of this? We, we're thinking of that too. Interesting. Um, 
because they, there might be some uh, clever uh, way of interpreting those uh, sparse metrics that we're dealing with. Mm. And there's a lot of things still that are, um, you know, undefined in the in the scientific community. And I think GeneLab is really at the uh, at the cutting edge of this information. So it's super exciting, but it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's a visionary approach to have created GeneLab, uh, but it, yeah. any visionary approach also bring a lot of challenges that needs to be dealt with. Well, so. yeah. But Ness is all about challenges Absolutely. and taking them all. That's why we're here, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, I wanted to ask you, you've spoken about how GeneLab will be accessible to different levels of expertise, right? Um, is it also open to anyone to go browse and look at? Is Absolutely. It? So yeah. the intent is to have this different tier level. Currently, the, the current version we have is 1.0, and we're moving to 2.0. Uh, 1.0 is very much a repository where you can just download the data. The version 2.0 would have, uh, and it's public, so sorry, anyone can go in there, there is no restriction. Amazing. Uh, so a high school student can download the data on his or her hard drive and play with them. Cool. If they want to, there's a lot of you know, free tools out there that you can do that really. But uh, 2.0 is gonna have more interesting things coming down the pipe. We, we have now a workspace so people can log in, can actually see all, the, all your data that you want to add to the current GeneLab data. So you can mm. bring your own data to compare. If you want to do a comparison, for instance, with your favorite experiment and some space samples, you can do it inside the system. And the other thing is uh, 2.0 will be, as we move on, will be having more and more tools that you can use to process some samples so uh, oh, yeah. some and do some analysis. Does that mean like a cancer researcher could take their own data from their own lab and compare genetic changes to what we see in space? Absolutely, that's exactly the idea. So you could have someone who's a, a specialist in breast cancer. And mm -hmm. uh, we know, for instance, breast, breast is a very sensitive tissue for radiation, so it's oh, a classic model. So the, it, it would not be a bad idea to look at the, and a lot of the animals that were flown on the ISS and in the special are female mice. Oh, uh, yeah. For many reasons, it's easier to work with female than male. Mm -hmm. uh, typically, male tend to fight in the same cage for, for a start. So we, we can't put as many males as we can put female in a cage. Yeah. And so the female have the mammary gland, which is another very interesting tissue because they're very sensitive to radiation. So you could look at cancer incidence through, uh, through radiation. So it would be an interesting question to look at specific early onset of cancer signature at the genomic level and then compare it to the space station data that's on GeneLab, for instance. I don't think anyone has done that yet. Interesting. All right, and GeneLab would make that comparison possible. Should be. If we have, um, having said that, we need to first have some mammary gland data in GeneLab for uh, ISS um, or a space shuttle, and they might be out there somewhere. A lot of the data are being generated by the PI as we're talking, so there's more data that are gonna come along and hopefully some of this information will be there. The longer we wait, the more information there will be there. Right, it's gonna grow with time. I exactly. Yeah. yeah, cool. So do you guys just receive data or do you ever work with the samples that come back from the space station? Because there are biological experiments happening up there, right? It's a great question. So actually we do both. I mean, the majority of the work is obviously on taking other people's data. Mm -hmm. But NASA has recognized that some samples may not be taken by any PI, and so it would be a, a bit of a waste. Uh, oh, they may not be used by... Not be, right, and yeah. so... And so GeneLab has, uh, has come up with a priority uh, prioritization of samples that we think are very important. We, one of the strategies would be that 
if we can really focus our attention to specific tissue on a regular basis, then we'll have a very clear characterization of this tissue. Mm -hmm. And as time goes by, we'll have multiple time points in space. So a long duration versus a, sh versus a short duration, uh, looking always at the same tissue in the same type of animals, then we'll be able to see how the time dependence is uh, uh, showing up. So to do this, we have, we have what we call the sample processing lab, which uh -huh. is uh, a small group engine lab that either works with other principal investigators when they need help to process samples, but also to, there's something called tissue sharing agreement where we can get some tissue from the ISS that are not claimed by anyone else. And there's a list of tissue that we'd rather see coming in through this prioritization. What would be an example? What would be tissues you're interested in? So the one we've been looking at a lot is liver. And the reason no one wanted to look at liver is because it's, uh, uh, it's not a tissue that's been showing very much response. Having said that, we actually now have a, a publication being prepared on that topic showing that actually there is some real changes in the liver in space. Oh, really? Ah. Which is surprising. Um, there was one study before that had suggested there was a change and uh, a longer duration from space shuttle samples. And now the study we're preparing actually is showing that on the ISS as well, the same strain of mice called C57 are showing some kind of a change in the liver over a 30-day course in space. Mm. So, so that could be important for human astronauts. Absolutely, right? right? Uh, the problem with the animal system is that you, you have to remember that we work with one strand, which means that all the data is coming from one single strand, which is the equivalent of uh, when you work on a one strand of mice, you lo you're looking at identical twins, if you want. Oh, yeah. So okay. you have no idea of how genetic variance is affecting this response. So okay. what you see in one strand may not be seen in another strand. And yeah. So that's one of the big challenges with the animal work. I see. So that's a caveat, and that's why insects are pretty cool, because insects. with insects, you can actually have a bunch of different genetic background in one experiment. Oh, more easily, more of them, they're smaller, easier. That's right. Okay. So you see, this is, and this is the art of science, is like, how do you use each model to their best, how do you optimize the usage of these animals? Yeah, so put them to their best use, yeah. Right, so rodents are great because they're very close to us uh, genetically, mm -hmm. but th that's the limitation. Uh, insects are great because like a Drosophila, you can have a, a huge spectrum of uh, genetic differences and you can have a many of them but then they're much further away from us than uh, a mammal yeah, so right. you know and then we put all this information together the idea again as we move forward with technology we we expect to see some new algorithm that'll be able to make these bridges between the different species right. and come up with some real uh, response from space and understand better how space affects us yeah right okay so take the results from those studies happening in space Look at the data in a broad way and draw conclusions. Absolutely. Okay. That's super interesting. It is, right? Yeah, cool. Ten years from now, we can uh, go back and see what we discover. But yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of discovery by the scientific community through this database. Yeah, no doubt. And the other thing I love about the space station biology experiments is it's not just for space applications, but everything we learn about human health from that can be applied down here, potentially. Absolutely, that's a great point. Thanks for raising it because um, we're discovering this as we, one of the things we're doing right now at Gene Lab is as we are kind of generating those pre-processed five for opening the door to a bigger community mm -hmm. that don't need to do all this processing that we can provide to them, uh, we're discovering some confounding factors in, in the sample. So for instance, we, you know, if you modify the carbon dioxide level in the cage of an animal, so I don't know if you know that, but 
carbon dioxide levels are different in space because mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's t- it tends to be higher. Oh, really? And for the longest oh. time, we thought that there was no impact uh, because they were still pretty low level. And now with the gene lab data, what we're discovering is that when you do a ground control and you increase the carbon dioxide to the level oh. that you have in space and the space station, we do see some hypoxic signatures in, in the gene. It has an impact then. It has an impact. Now, again, you have to be careful. RNA level is just one very small piece of the puzzle. You you may have a change at the RNA level, but not at the protein level, which is what's more relevant, I would say, physiologically. is like the final signal is turning to an actual protein. Hmm. So there's caveats in everything we do, but yeah. it's really telling us that, yeah, those carbon dioxide have an impact. It's not okay. maybe picked up physiological changes are maybe not picked up by it. Okay, But those very sensitive molecular tools can pick up those features. Right. So that's an example where your gene lab is allowing you to discover that it's very complex, the interactions between environment and DNA and proteins produced. Exactly. And you're teasing that apart, right? Right, because, you know, back to the carbon dioxide example, you know, you can imagine a situation on Earth where we are exposed to high level of carbon dioxide and no one would ever study this stuff because no one would ever think of that. But Mm -hmm. it turns out that this data set is clearly putting their fingers on one thing that maybe suggesting more and more studies even on uh, by other investigators, you know, what are those signatures? What What are those changes in the RNA will do on the long term? Is there a situation on Earth where you you get low carbon dioxide level and you should be concerned about it? You mm-hmm. know, so it is really going much beyond, much more beyond uh, space. You know, the people being bedridden for like months oh, yeah. uh, is the equivalent of being in microgravity. You know, the uh, right. that's one of the classic model. Well, microgravity can tell us about you know bone loss and and things like this. So that's right. there's a lot of parallel between what's happening in space. You can think of space as an accelerator of aging, oh, cool. in a way. Mm-hmm. That's the way I look that's at it often. And so I think yeah, everything we're discovering on on those data will be relevant for human on Earth as well. Fascinating, and I like the way earlier you described NASA as the custodian of data about biology and physiology and health in space. And it sounds like you're making that easier to use and accessible to more people. That's what we're trying to do. Wonderful. Excellent. Well, this was super fascinating. I think for a lot of people, it's surprising, first of all, that NASA does biology, and then that they can take a look at this data and maybe use it themselves in their labs or at home. So thank you for sharing that with us. Well, no, thank you for, you know, highlighting GeneLab. And anyone who's listening, uh, feel free to come to GeneLab. Uh, nasa.gov Awesome. And also online we are at NASA Ames and we can take any questions for Sylvain about Gene Lab with the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. So thanks again for being here. Thank you very much. 